0: Yeah, come on, that's good stuff. Come on, that's amazing. Yeah, and you guys, whether you know it or not, you played a part in that. And that's what's so amazing and beautiful about the church is us coming together through generosity. We can make a huge difference. In fact, there was something that happened at our 830 service that I want you to experience as well. So check this out. No, hey, when we started this series called Be Rich, right, we, 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 when we planned this series, we said in our hearts and our heads, like, hey, we want to not just talk about being rich, but we want to model it. We, we want people to see and, and get a glimpse of, of ultimately what it means. And it's not about what we have, but it's about what God, what God can do with what he's given us. And we wanted to give you an example. That's why we loved on frontline workers in week one by giving them coffee and, and just expressing our love to them. It's why last week we gave, you know, 591 gift cards away to people to invest in our community to be rich to somebody else and it's why we loved on people who who were in need and i want to give you one more example in fact i want to invite a family up on stage with me the walkers are with us come on up here guys you're going to get to see their beautiful family come on welcome to the stage and listen as they make their way up here they have no clue why they're coming up on stage. I just told them, hey, be here at the 8.30, and so you'll get to see their beautiful family. And let me introduce them to you. I'm just gonna. This is the walkers. You know, sometimes you just got to climb up on stage. Let's go. I love it. So we have Cuevas and Sarah and their family, and here's what you need to know about them. They lead a ministry called Go Ministries, where they have, over the, the course of many years, invested into our community. And so if you've seen Quavus around, you probably have because he's everywhere. Like everywhere I look, I'm like, how did Cuevas get there and then go there? But this family has sacrificed a lot. If you want to know what it means to be rich, I think they are a great example of being rich because they sacrifice a lot to love on a lot of other people. Teenagers, they've invested in many teenagers through youth ministry. They have a food pantry and a furniture pantry to help people who don't have much. And over the course of their lives, they have given us a breathing, living example of what it means to be rich. Because it's not about what you have, it's about what you do with what you have. And so for you guys, one, I brought you on stage just to honor you and for our church to see and hear of all the good that you've done. But secondarily, I understand the sacrifice that your family makes to love on others. And so as a church, we wanted to love on you. And so we're sending you away. You get to choose where you go. You have $500 to Airbnb to go take a vacation because of all that you've done. We love you guys. So thank you. (laughs) High fives, guys. Thanks for coming up on stage. (laughs) <laughs> so if you're a guest uh, this morning and you're like, what, what is going on? What's happening? We've been in the middle of this series called Be Rich. And, and what we're doing in this series is we're trading in culture's definition of being rich, this accumulation of stuff, right? This net worth, like that defines your value and your security. We're trading that in for what God determines as being rich. And ultimately what we've learned is being rich is is not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. That's what it means to be rich. It has, has nothing to do with what you've accumulated, the stuff you've gathered. But really what it has to do with is how you leverage what God has given you. And in the first two weeks of this series, we, we really asked some, 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 some difficult, painful questions that have kind of lingered around. And we started in the first two weeks by just asking you, are you and am I rich? Right? If, if that's God's definition, not about what I've accumulated, but what I'm doing with what, he, with what he's given me, are you rich? And I told you that question wasn't going to go anywhere, right? It was going to linger and linger and linger and linger. And hopefully you've had time to just examine that in your own life personally. Are you rich? Hopefully it's taken up room in your head. Throughout the week, it's challenged you and convicted you to really examine yourself. And, and last week, we were in Luke chapter 12. We're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week. And in Luke chapter 12, we, we, we talk, talked about a parable that Jesus tells, right? He's a rabbi, a teacher, and he was teaching a crowd. And, and a guy asks a question about an inheritance, and Jesus warns him first. He says, hey, be careful, be careful of this nasty thing called greed, because greed is actually the opposite. It will, it will lead you down a path of not really living a life that is truly rich, and so life is not in, in this abundance of, of possessions. And so then Jesus tells this story, this parable of this guy. He was a farmer. He was in agriculture. And this year, he was experiencing success. Right? His crops were like doubling. He had this abundance, this surplus. It was so great that his barns couldn't hold all of his surplus. So he has to build bigger ones. And so he builds bigger ones to store it all. And, and we, we see in the story his plans were actually pretty wise business practice. He was a wise businessman, but later on in the story, we realized that the problem wasn't with his plans, it was with his heart. Because with all the surplus that God had blessed him with, all he could think about was spending it on himself. He said, I'm going to take life easy. Coast into the sunset and just enjoy life. And then God says this to him in verse 20. He says, but God said to him, you fool. Now remember what a fool is. It's not an unwise person. A a, a fool biblically is a person who lives their life, decision after decision, choice after choice, and has no regard to what God has to say with their life. That's a fool. He says, you're a fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? what a devastating blow to this guy who had all this surplus, and now he doesn't get to enjoy the luxuries and the pleasure of it, because he's going to die. And that's right there where we left off this parable. Jesus is actually done telling the story, but we just missed out on one verse. One verse, and I think this verse is really we're going to camp out this morning and kind of flesh out. Because as Jesus finishes this story, he looks at the crowd, he looks at this guy asking the question, and he warns them. Look what he says. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So Jesus warns this crowd, and he really warns us thousands of years later. And man, that warning should send a little bit of shivers down our spine. Because Jesus says, if you live like this guy, Which honestly, this is the the American culture, right? If you just live your life and store up things and accumulate things for your own personal enjoyment and pleasure, Jesus says your life is gonna look very similar to this guy's. And again, in the series, you can see the question beginning to shift, right? The first two weeks, we asked, Are you rich? You have to examine your life and ask, say, hey, am I rich according to what God, what God has, has to say? But the, really the question is shifting to, are you ready to be rich? Are you ready to step into God's path for riches? Are you ready to, to, to neglect what culture says and choose what God has to say for the riches of your life? Are you ready to be rich? Because there's a big difference between wanting something and doing something. Desiring it and actually living it. And if we look at Jesus' warning, right, the question we all have to ask is how can I be rich towards God, right? What is God asking of me here? What is he trying to communicate to his people over the course of time? And that's really where I want to spend the majority of my time practically. You know, in this series, we have we have looked at the theology of God, who God is, and out of who he is, we get a proper definition of, of what it means to be rich. That's the first two weeks, and out of that, now we have to begin to practically live it out, right? Because James says, hey, don't be just hearers of the word. We got to hear God's word. We got to be in it. We got to dive deep into it, understand it, and out of that, it should change who we are. We should look more like Jesus Christ. And so practically, how can we be rich towards God? And I think from the big picture perspective, it starts with just simply creating a plan. We have to create a plan that will constantly remind us that we need to be rich towards God, because here's the reality. Naturally, we won't do this, right? Our natural tendency is towards greed, towards selfishness. We're all that way. So I'm not picking on anybody. We're all that way. Naturally, if we don't have a plan in place to be rich towards God, we're going to drift towards ourself. Think about it. When we get surplus, when we get abundance, when we look at our money, the natural first person we think about is us, our family. And that's why we need a plan that will systematically, intentionally, and strategically remind us to be rich towards God. And, and, and I get it, Like create a plan. Well, I don't have a plan. Like, what are we going to do? Like, I don't know, how to, I don't know a plan for, for being rich. Well, I'll share a plan that I've with lived by my, my entire married life, a plan that revolves our finances and our budget. I call it the 10-10-80 plan. And I'll break it down for you. It's in, in order strategically. The first 10% of my income, so you talk about 100% of my income, the first 10%, I call it the first fruits biblically, it goes right back to God. So right off the top of my gross income, I'm giving 10% back to God, and that's a minimum for me, right? And then 10%, I'm planning for my family's future, what we want to do, things we want to achieve, retirement, emergency funds. That 10% of of the 100% in the year goes towards planning for the future, kids' colleges or whatever it is. And then I take 80%, which is left over, and I live off of that. So 80% of my income takes care of my week-to-week, month-to-month budgeted items that we survive on. And I get for some of you right now, you're thinking, wow. Because most of America lives off 100% of their income, right? And so to go from 100 to 80 seems like a leap. And actually, a lot of America lives off 110% of their income. And so that seems like a, a giant leap to go from 110 to 80%. But here's what we have to understand about money is money ultimately just represents value, right? There's nothing intrinsically valuable about the the, the piece of paper your dollar or your $5 is printed on or the the plastic that your credit card you swipe with. But what happens is when you purchase something, it's a transaction of value. You are saying, that is worth so much for me to have, and you place value on it. And that's why in in Luke chapter 12, same chapter, Jesus says these words. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what Jesus is declaring is ultimately what you invest your time, your talents, and your treasure in is a beautiful picture of what you ultimately value, where you invest. In fact, I love what John Piper says. He says, the movement of your money signifies the movement of your heart. Where your money goes, your heart is going. You exchange money for what you value, what you treasure. And John Piper is just echoing the words of Jesus. Jesus says, hey, you want to get a, get a good, good glimpse of where your heart is, what it treasures, what it values? Just follow your dollars. Right? I love what John Wesley says, too. He says, money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it find its way into my heart. You know, I wonder today if we were to follow that trail. The trail of your credit card statement, the trail of your bank account, the trail of where you invest your dollars, would it declare that you value God? I mean, if we were to sit down, just me and you together, and you were to give me insight into that, would, what, what would that declare about your money, what you truly value, where your heart is? Would God be located in the equation, or would he be missing? Because ultimately, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also and so we're asking the question, how can we be rich towards God? Like, how do I know? How do I know if I'm truly rich towards God? Like, what's the barometer? What's the standard? It's interesting. If you go back to the Old Testament, God actually gave us a standard to follow. The standard was simply called a tithe. And a tithe means ten it's that first part of, of the plan, right? You give 10% of your first fruits. And so it goes all the way back to, to the, the, is the nation of Israel, right? A Jewish person living under the Mosaic law would, would be commanded by the law to give the first 10% of their income back to the local church, back to God. And you have to understand in this culture, fruits, vegetables were the main source of income so it's why a lot of times you will see in the text and the law, bring back your first fruits. In fact, let's, let me take you there. Leviticus chapter 27. This was part of the law. It says a tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain or fruit is the Lord's and is holy. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And so every Jewish person was required to do this according to their law. When you gathered your income, when you gathered your crops, the first 10% just went to God. And so it looked very similar to this, right? They have, we have some beautiful cauliflowers donated by Wegmans. Mm, beautiful. Thank you, Wegmans. So when, when, when somebody would, would, would grow produce or they would gain well income, this is a full picture of, of what God gave them. And so one thing they knew in the, the Old Testament was that everything that they had was a gift from God. Right? We have to get to that place where we recognize we don't earn it. God gives it to us freely. And so all of this is from God, but what they would do is when when they would collect their crops, when they would gather, they would, out of 10 things, they would take one, the first one, and they would take it, and they would give it back to God. And here's here's, here's the crazy thing. Like, God didn't care about what they gave. He wasn't like, oh, I really need this fruit to make it through another week. No, what this was, was it, it was a picture of their trust in him. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a picture of their surrender, and they were declaring to God, I trust you more than I trust anything else in this world. That's what it was. The, the tithe was just to give them an indicator of how valuable and how much they trust and were surrendered to God. Now, here's what's interesting about the tithe is it came, in the Old Testament, it came with a, a warning and a curse and, and a promise and a blessing. So you go back to, to, to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi was an Old Testament prophet. And God would often use prophets in in, in that culture when the nation of Israel would kind of walk away from God. God would send a prophet in to declare truth over them, to bring them back. And that's kind of what's happening in Malachi chapter 3. The nation of Israel had forgotten to give God what was rightfully his. They forgot to tithe. And because of that, the warning comes in. There's a disconnect between God and his people. We see it in Malachi chapter three. This is what he says. He says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So we see that. Like there's come back to me, God is saying. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. And so we see God uses Malachi to go to the nation of Israel to say, hey, you're, 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 you're robbing me. You've forgotten that your trust should be in me, not what you have, and you need to return to me. And here's what's fascinating to me, right? You, you just skip ahead thousands of years to 2021, right? 5% of regular church attenders tithe. 5%. So that means, according to who I'm speaking to right now, listening online and at our in-person campuses, 95% of us are living in this manner, where we would look at what God has given us. And just for a second, look at the tables. Everything is a gift from God. So all of it is God's. He owns it. He can have it when he wants it. He gives it to us. And yet he says, hey, you can have all this. All I ask for is this. And yet, 95% of us, we live in a manner where we're like, ah, God, I'm just not sure this is enough for me to make it. So I'm just going to come over here and, you know, this looks pretty good. And, and I get how it happens, right? Because, you know, the mortgage gets high and taxes in New York and my kids schooling. And so we just look and we just say, God, like, I, I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to borrow this, okay? Like, we don't need it, God. I really need this right now. Like, I'm in debt. And so I, I can't pull from me. Like, I, this is all spent. Like, I just got the new iPhone, and I just, you know, whatever. Like, I'm just, you won't miss it, God, will you? And we, we put it in our table, right? We take what is God's. And that's what's happening in Malachi chapter 3. And Malachi says, you got to return to God. You got to live in obedience to who God is. And, and, and what happens is when we live this way, where we take from what is God's, we miss out on something beautiful. The blessings of God. Because three verses later, look what Malachi says. He says, bring the whole tithe. Hold on a second. I just got to finish swallowing this red pepper. He <laughs> says, bring the whole tithe. That's important. All 10%. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So that's like the local church. And here's why. He says, bring the tithe. So when the church comes together and we do our part, we live in obedience to God. He says that there may be food in my house. You see, that's what I love about the church is we all do our part, and and the food in the house is so we can take care of the community. It's not so we can be this rich church that is just like, wow, look at all we have. No, it's so we can love on our community. That's what the church is for, bring the gospel to the community. And the reality is, is that takes dollars. And he says, look, here's the promise. Here's the blessing. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. So God says, you obey me, I bless you. You trust me, I bless you. Now, let's pause here, because I have seen a lot of people take this verse and run with it. Okay, here's the problem. Our definition of God's blessing and God's actual blessings are a little bit different. And so just because you, you give 10% of your income to God doesn't mean he's going to make you materially rich, right? Sometimes God's blessings are unique. Like your car breaks down and he teaches you patience, and he's like, that's a blessing. You're like, what? I don't want that blessing, God. But God will bless you. He says, test me. He says, you bank on me and see what happens. You trust in me and see what happens in your life. And, and this doesn't, we, we shouldn't expect, we don't give to get from God. That, that, that's the wrong heart. We give because we trust in God and we believe he will pro- provide for us. We give to God because he takes care of his children. And I've experienced this verse, not even from my own generosity. You see, I had the privilege of growing up in a home where my dad gave us a living example of generosity. Right, my dad... If you talk to people who knew my dad, even people who didn't know my dad, probably one of the first words they would describe him as is generous. And it's been a year, just last week, we celebrated a year of my dad being in heaven. And you know, I've heard story over the course of this year, I've heard story and story from people I didn't even know who just told me the stories of my dad's generosity and how it benefited them. That's just who he was. He was the most generous guy I ever met. And he loved to give. And one area he loved to give was the church. He believed in the local church, and he gave a lot to support the local church. And one way he did that, over and above what he would give, is he would love on the pastor. You see, growing up, we had one pastor my entire life. His name is Pastor Richard Tinnell. And he's actually still there. He's been there for about 43 years. He's 74 years old, and he is still preaching the gospel. He's an amazing man. And some of you who went to my dad's funeral, you got to see a glimpse of where I grew up and the church I went to. And my dad just loved to, to honor our pastor, to take care of our pastor, and he would just look for ways to, to love him. And here's what's crazy. My dad was a businessman. He wasn't a pastor. And I'm a pastor today, and I can I tell you, I've experienced that same thing from people in our church who have just been incredibly generous to me and my family who have taken care of us, who take care of our cars, who love us so well. I can't tell you, people, when I was having a a bad day where God used your card to just make me know that someone's praying for me. The generosity, here's why I tell you this, okay? So as I experienced the generosity of people like you guys in our church who just love our family well, I would tell my mom the stories. My mom lives in our basement now since dad is gone. She's part of the family. It's awesome. She cooks amazing Italian food. Praise the Lord. And I would tell her the stories of just people who who just love us and care for us. And she would take those stories and she would tell Pastor Tennell, who's still alive, who's still preaching at First Baptist Church of Gilton. And here's what he believes. He actually believes that I'm experiencing the blessing of my dad's generosity. He's believing that sometimes the blessing of your generosity doesn't even maybe affect your life, but the, the next generation of your line. That I'm actually, because of the generosity of you, it's a blessing from God because of my dad's generosity to his pastor. Because sometimes the blessings, God's blessings come in unique ways. You can't measure them, you can't predict them, but I can tell you, you can bank on them. When you trust God, you can bank on him. And so that's what the tithe is. It's this trust. It's this display of your trust in God. And so I, I get it. There, there might be a little pushback, right? Because this is Old Testament. This is the Mosaic law, a different covenant. We're living under a new one, the, the covenant of Jesus Christ in his blood. What does the New Testament have to say about tithing, about our generosity? Well, the first thing it says is this is just one indicator. This is just one litmus test of your heart. So you can actually do this and still be far from God. You can still like surrender your money and still have a wrong heart. In fact, there were people when Jesus was on the scene who lived this way. They were called the Pharisees. Look what he says to them. Matthew 23, he says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, you Pharisee, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. And so here, when Jesus was on the scene, he runs into these religious rulers. And guess what they were really good at? Letting everybody know that they did this. They're like, oh, yeah, look at how much I give to the church. It's awesome. I'm pretty cool. Look at me. And Jesus is like, hold on a second. Yeah, you do that, but you forget way more important things like justice and mercy and love and faith. He says, this is just one indicator that your heart is close to me. You can do this and still miss the boat. Your heart can still be far from me. It's just one indicator, but don't miss. He says, yeah, you should tithe. You should should surrender your heart with your finances and with other things. Later on, the apostle Paul, he says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Right? He says, so, so it's almost like, what, what, what type of God do you want, right? You, you, you be, you're cheap, you'll get a cheap God. You, you're generous, you'll get a, a generous God. How you reap is how you sow. And he says, each of you should give whatever you decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I just believe this, that one of the attributes God loves is Generosity. He loves when his people are generous. It's all throughout scriptures. And so when you look at the New Testament, I I just believe this. I don't believe God lowered the standard. I think he actually raised it. And so 10% of our income is kind of the, 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 the low part of the barometer that God asks of us. And it's not about what you have. It's about your heart condition. It gives God a litmus test. And one of the things that we hold on to in our culture more than anything, one of the greatest strongholds in your walk with Christ is, guess what? It's money. It's one of the last things we're willing to submit to God. Why is that? I asked myself that question. Like 95% of regular church attenders don't live this way. Why? Why do we look at this? All 90% and still look at what God asks us to give and say, I just need some of that. Why do we live this way? And I think at the end of the day, it's simply because generosity hurts, right? It's painful. It requires sacrifice. And if you live it a certain way, it's hard to go back from that way. And ultimately, I think it's the difference between desire and discipline. Because Man, I just believe this. I believe in our church, pretty much everybody. I can't speak for everybody, but like I think all, a lot of us, we desire to be generous. Right? We, we want people to, to say, yeah, Drew is a, a generous guy. We all desire that. But there is a big difference between desiring something and actually doing something. And I think the gap there is just a, a word called discipline. Because we look at this time of year, this is what happens regularly in our culture, right? It's January, February, we make some resolutions, right? We desire to lose weight or we desire to read our Bible every day. And guess what? We have good intentions, we're going to go for it, but we lack the discipline because it hurts to actually do what we want. And so many people lose weight, but then gain it back. Many people start reading their Bible, but then they get busy and they forget because they lack discipline. Because getting up at 5 a.m. and lifting weights and breaking down your muscles is not a fun experience. It's awful. It's terrible. I would recommend not doing it. But to do it regularly, it takes discipline, hard work. To read your Bible, you lose a little extra sleep you got to turn off social media. you got to let go of the television or whatever it is that consumes your time and focus on God's word. And guess what that takes? Discipline. Desire will get you started. Discipline will keep you going. And most of us, we lack discipline. God, I want to be generous, but I'm not willing to sacrifice for it because it's going to hurt. And I want you to know something. The pain that happens when you have this, right? When you bring in your crops, your income, and when the pain of of taking it from what is yours and surrendering it back to God, that pain is intentional. Because what that pain does is it's a constant reminder when that transaction happens, it's a reminder to you that you are in desperate need for God. It's a reminder that you better bank on him because he's the one who gives you all that you have and your trust needs to be in him. And that pain reminds us in a culture where we think we can do it without God, that pain reminds us of how much we do need God. So how do we get there, right? How do I get to the place where I am rich towards God? Well, we said we start with a plan, 10, 10, 80, right? But like, how do I navigate that plan. Well, I think maybe the first step to working that plan is evaluating your finances, right? We have to take a good, hard look at the budget. And for some of you, it's, it's about creating a budget, right? I, I, I don't get this, but I, there are many people who just live without no idea where their money is going. They just hope it all works out. Hope, I hope that there's leftover when I'm done, And I think what will help us so much is just looking at our finances, the nitty-gritty details of where our money is going, what we're wasting it on, what's happening. And here's what's interesting. A lot of people live this way, that their money actually tells them where to go. And I think we should live where we tell our money actually where to go. And what helps that is evaluating, seeing what's there, and building in a budget that will help us. And so how do we evaluate our finances? Let me give you two practical steps. The first one, sign up for Financial Peace University. We strategically planned this to happen on March 7th for our in-person service and in March 9th if you're watching online. And so it don't matter where you're watching from, there is a place where you can take Financial Peace University. And here's what I love about this class, is it will just teach you some practical steps for, 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 for living and, and budgeting and, and watching your money and taking care of it. It will help you evaluate your finances. And I love the name of this, this, this course, Financial Peace University. Guess what most of us don't have peace about? Our finances. Guess what is one of the major causes of divorce in America? Money. Why? Because we worry about it constantly. It keeps us up at night, right? That's why Jesus, when he talked about money, he he often followed it with do not worry, because it's something that we worry about regularly. Can I just ask you this? What would your life look like if you had peace over your finances? We do not have to live and worry of how I'm, I'm, I'm going to pay my next bill or what, where is this going to come from or how am I going to make this work. And, and peace doesn't mean you make a lot, just for the reference. You can have peace and not make a lot, and you can have peace and make a lot. So the second step, so sign up. If you have not signed up for Financial Peace University, you've never taken that course, I just highly recommend it. I think it will be so beneficial for you. It starts March 7th or March 9th. I want that info. You can go there. The second step to evaluate your finances is just find a trusted person and ask questions, right? Just find somebody who will help you navigate some of the the hard issues about money, where to go, where to spend, how to do that, right? And the key word there is trusted because there are people out there who will rob you of your money very fast that you shouldn't trust, you shouldn't ask questions, but you gotta find the right person. How do you do that, right? Well, there are... Many financial planners in our church, there are people in your community group, probably that take care of their money, that are wise with their money. You can ask them. But one of the best pieces of advice I was given when I was a young man, when I was just married with Ashley, we didn't have a lot. We got married. We were excited, but we had dreams. And my father-in-law and my father both said, hey, you need to have somebody, a financial planner who will help you get you to where you want to go who help build guardrails to save you from maybe some mistakes that you might make. And I've always lived with a financial planner. And I would challenge you to do that. Someone who you, you don't know what to do when it comes to retirement. You don't know what to do when it comes to, to, to being generous. Or whatever it is, they can help you. The question is, how do I, how do I find that person? Well, you can look and interview people or, hey, I will give you a recommendation. I will give you the name of the person that has done my finances for me, still does my finances. They go to our church. And listen, I get it. I know what you're thinking, right? Like, oh, Drew's just going to you know, get a little kickback from, from all the people he recommends. <laughs> I'm not getting anything, okay? Zero, zilch, nothing. He's not giving me anything for this. All I want for you is that, for you to have a trusted person who helps help you with your finances. That's enough for me. So, if you want that recommendation, you can email me and I will give it to you. But again, you, you see that, that question starting to shift, right? The first question was, Are you rich? And I wonder where you landed with that question. When you examined your life and you thought about the question, I wonder, Are you rich? But then this morning I asked you, Hey, are you ready to be rich? Are you ready to to, to neglect culture's path and to step into God's path? But maybe maybe the hardest question to answer is, are you willing to do what it takes to be rich? No one can answer that question but you. And desire won't get you there. Right, you can desire, after three weeks of this series, being inspired by God's Word, saying, yes, I want to do this, I want to be rich, but there's a big difference between wanting something and doing something. The Bible, James, warns us about being just hearers of the Word. Right? We show up Sunday after Sunday, and we open God's Word. Here's one thing I'll guarantee you at Northridge Church, we're always going to open God's Word. But it's one thing to be hearers of God's Word. Like we need to be hearers of God's word. It's a great thing to to gain knowledge and theology of who God is. And out of that, that's what molds us and changes us and sanctifies us to look more like Jesus Christ. So we need the knowledge. It's very important, but we can't stay there. Too many of us show up Sunday after Sunday, we hear God's word and we go back to the same routine. We go back to the same thing. I don't know about you, but I wanna be a hearer of God's word and I wanna be a doer. And I would just ask you, are you willing to do what it takes? It's gonna hurt, I promise. It's gonna be painful at times, but let me tell you, it will be worth it. Every time you step in obedience to God, you never lose. You always win. And so I'm gonna make a, what seems like a pretty big ask. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stretch our church today, and I'm talking about the people of God. Because 95, according to stats, 95% of us don't live this. So I'm gonna ask you to do it. Here's the great news. I tried to make a way where it would cost you nothing. Hey, how, how does that work, Drew? Well, we call it the 90 day giving challenge, and I'm challenging everybody who doesn't give 10% of their income to try it, to go for it, to be bold and courageous. And I get it's going to be a giant leap. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You might have to gulp, right? But if you want to do that, I'm I'm going to make a way. We've made a way. Churches have made a way for you to experience this and it not to cost you anything. How does that work? Well, for 90 days, you're going to say, hey, I'm going to try this. I'm going to go for it. I'm going, to give you 10, I'm going to give 10% of my income to the church. And after the end of 90 days, if you are not satisfied with how God came through for you, we will write you a check for the full amount back to you. It costs you nothing. In fact, worst case scenario, it's a nice little savings account for you. For you to surrender your heart and trust God even with less than you're living off now. If you want to do that, all you got to do is go to Iwant.info. You sign up. We'll keep a record of your name. And at any point during the 90 days, you can say, I want it back, and we will give it back to you. And you might ask the question, like, why would we do this? Why in the world would we do this? Well, here's why. Because we bank on what God says in his word. Right When he says something, we believe it, and we believe it to the fullest. And so I just believe when you surrender, when you live in obedience to God, he will bless you. And I don't know what it's going to look like for you. I don't know how amazing or weird it's going to be, but I believe God will bless you for your step of obedience. And, and listen, I, I, I can hear the pushback already. I can see the emails because I've gotten them. People are going to say this church is just all about money, right? We just want your money. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. And I'll prove it to you in two ways. The first way is you can show up to this church week after week, month after month, year after year, and you don't have to give a single dime for your entire life, and here's my promise to you, we will love you, care for you, be there for you, and we will continue to push you towards Jesus Christ, and it will cost you absolutely nothing. So I'm not forcing you to anything. I will preach God's word, and you can show up here and never give a dime, and we will constantly and continually love you. Second, if you feel like we're all about money, I'll give you the name of other churches in the area, pastors who I am love and who I'm good friends with, and you can give your 10% to their church. I could care less. I really could. Because I'm not banking on you to provide for this church. I'm banking on him to do that. So whether you do it or not has nothing to do with how God will come through, because God comes through in some amazing, mysterious ways. He does. This isn't about money, guys. It never has. Being rich is not about what you have. Ultimately, to first be rich, you gotta surrender your heart to God. And that's what a tithe is about. It's you just saying with your heart, God, you're valuable to me, I love you, and I am banking on you. So if you're challenged and you're ready to go for it, take the 90-day giving challenge. Sign up online. and At the end of 90 days, we'll give it back to you if you want it. Let me read this verse to you and I'll be done. It says, teach those who are rich in this world to not be proud and not to trust in their money. Why don't we trust in our money? Because it's so stinking unreliable. Where does our trust belong? We should trust in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Let's pray together. God, move us. God, we've allowed money to hold us back from fully following you. God, I just pray that your spirit would break down those walls, that we wouldn't hold on to our money, but our trust would be in you. Because you gave us the greatest gift we will ever experience, and it's not fiscal. It was blood on a cross, and it was life in a tomb. That you don't have to give us anything else, God, today, and all we need is Jesus. Thank you for that gift. And because of it, we will be generous to you. In Jesus' name.